1: Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go.
0: Today, we want to talk about internal communication strategies and tactics. So what's interesting to me is that we focus so much externally. How do we get more leads? How do we build the brand? How do we get out there? How do we schedule things? How do we automate? Oh, my goodness. I mean, you can just, that's, that's all we uh, spend time focusing on, it seems like, sometimes. But internal communications matters as well, Uh, whether you're a small company, big company, uh, whatnot. Uh, And today's guest, Trent Anderson, he is the chief operating officer at PreWrite.com, and he focuses on growth through storytelling. So he had me right right there with that tagline, (laughs) as you may have assumed. Um, But what's great about Trent is I ran across him again on social media. He was sharing something about internal communications. And I thought I should ask him to come on the show and share his wisdoms with you guys. Trent, how's it going today?
1: It's going very well, Christoph. Thanks for having me on today.
0: Awesome. Yep. Uh, always glad to have experts like you on the show. So let's talk about internal communications. I mean, I it can be hard, right, to focus on that, especially when when we're all so gung ho in uh, smaller to medium sized companies on external communication. Why mm-hmm. why does internal? Why does it matter? And and, and what are some tactics?
1: Yeah, I think internal communication often gets overlooked, like you said, because the prioritization is on, on external, right? How do we get more leads? How do we get more clients? How do we continue to grow? Well, it's all fine and well, and those are all kind of like leading uh, metrics to look at. But one of the lagging metrics, I think, is internal comms and the, the effect of vision or, or lack of vision or clarity or lack of clarity with where an organization is going. And if you're like me, you've probably been in an organization before that was doing everything right externally, but internally there were huge, huge issues. And it usually started from top down or uh, or, or from a leadership position, and, and wasn't able to communicate uh, internally why we were doing the things that we were doing, uh, why we were uh, prioritizing certain. Uh, initiatives, uh, and all that good stuff. So um, I think a lot of internal communications uh, really manifests itself uh, through the the curse of knowledge. And typically, when we mm-hmm. talk about internal communications, it is driven by leaders. It is usually a top-down approach. And as these leaders are uh, sitting in their war rooms and deliberating strategy and, and tactics and all of these really fun uh, corporate buzzwords... Um, they, they usually have the curse of knowledge. And for those that don't know what the curse of knowledge is, is, uh, basically, um, they have such, uh, intimate knowledge of a given, uh, you know, piece of information that they assume the rest of the organization also understands that. And really it isn't the case. So, uh, you've probably seen the clip from the office, where Oscar is telling Michael what his options are for utilizing uh, the surplus budget for the year. And Michael comes back and says, explain it to me like I'm eight. And Oscar Mm -hmm. tries to do that. And then Michael comes back and says, now explain it to me like I'm five. Well, the Oscars uh, way of explaining what a surplus budget was. Uh, was the curse of knowledge, right? So Oscar is an accountant for anybody who doesn't know the office. Uh, by, by the way, go see that on Netflix because I think there's a lot of uh, business lessons to be learned there. Uh, but in any case, Oscar has the curse of knowledge because he is crunching numbers all day. He understands how to read a financial report, and Michael clearly does not, right? So um, Oscar had to simplify his message so much more to get it across uh, and an effective uh, communication with Michael. So uh, I think, again, drawing this back to the curse of knowledge, uh, it really comes down to assumptions that are made about what everybody else understands about the business versus the actual reality. So
0: in the curse of knowledge, certainly, I, I, but I can see how it happens, right? Mm-hmm. Because as leaders, I mean, especially as leaders, I mean, I think about an idea, I think, 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 right. Mm-hmm. And then at some point I roll it out or I start um, Uh, percolating the idea up right and we build on the idea and so now already time has passed and then do you think it has sometimes the problem is that leaders um they've been involved for so long and they just don't even think about it or they're waiting for the perfect time to communicate something and I'm not so sure there is a perfect time for anything anymore Mm
1: -hmm. yeah I, I think so much of that is is accurate um Again, I'll just draw off my own experiences, right? So, at one point, I was, uh, you know, one of the first hires in an organization, and it was the same kind of core group of people that uh, started the organization and and really built it up over the course of, you know, a couple years. And as the company continued to scale and grow, well, the need to bring on uh, new hires increased, and it was almost like an us versus them kind of mentality, right? Like we had been on the front lines, we had seen all of the pain points, all of the uh, you know, work uh, work that was happening on weekends and nights and that sort of thing. And all of a sudden, these new hires come in and they don't they don't remember what it was like to be in a 250 square foot office. Um, they're in a 2,500 square foot office or 25,000 square foot office. So um, I think organizationally it happens so often for leaders uh, to almost create this um, you know, in, unintentionally usually uh, us versus them type thing. I think a lot of that comes down to the curse of knowledge and uh, one way to to supplement or or rid yourself of that curse is to document all of your processes, right? And I think that's one thing, from a tactical perspective, did wonders for us. Uh, was was creating internal wikis. Uh, we used a tool called Guru to help um, document all of our processes that were that was then integrated with our Slack channels. So anytime uh, a new hire came through the onboarding process and they still had any questions or, or uh, issues they could just log into guru and, and type in their question. And all of a sudden, boom, the guy who started the marketing department uh, gave his two cents on, on how to actually go about accomplishing that task. So um, again, I think uh, you're absolutely right in that uh, this kind of starts and ends with the, with the leadership team.
0: Yeah. And of course, I mean, once you bring on new people, that's, that's important to have those things written down. What, um, one of the strategies that I like myself is I'm a, I'm a, th- a talk to think mm-hmm. kind of yeah. guy trend. Right. And some people have held that against me and they say, Oh, you have to say a crappy idea before you can have any good sure. ones, which is, which is true. Like I really, you know, I have some doozies over the years. Usually it's the first one. Um, but then basically, you know, I'm, I fall into the category of talking to think, not thinking to talk, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, and that seems to be a decent strategy to keep your team informed what's going on, right? Because you kind of, you're looking to communicate with them. You're looking to collaborate with them and they, they kind of stay in the know. Um, And, but that of course is not scalable. Like if I have, you know, five people on a team that works or even maybe 10 potentially, but if there's four teams of 10 people in a division, that's, that doesn't work. Um, What are some, internal communications tactics that you've seen work other than uh, a, a wiki i think that's a good idea mm-hmm. i've done that as well but but actually before i before you answer the question about other tactics when it comes to wikis i've done those before and it was really uh, very heavy on digital strategies yep. and and i think i mean i spend so much time updating it because Yes, the high level things, they never changed or they did change sometimes, but very rarely. But like the how to do it changed all the Mm -hmm. time. I mean, I'm just looking at Anchor, which is what we use to record. And Anchor just changed something while we're recording, (laughs) you know. And (laughs) like, so how do you how do you kind of mix those two? in uh, in any kind of uh, wiki that you showed a
1: few. Yeah, I think this brings up a really good distinction here. And wikis are very, very powerful in terms of sharing facts and data and uh, perhaps like processes. But as things change, they require uh, additional hands-on and, and uh, effort, as, as you just mentioned, Christoph. Um, so I think if you were to go up one level from... Uh, the data aspect, right the facts and the datas, uh, I think one thing that you can do to kind of cement the overall um, sentiment around those facts is is really d- developing a story around it. and I think that is where uh, the need to to really uh, you know understand like what why are you doing this? like why are you documenting this process uh, it's It's typically because it's led to some sort of result, and I think stories are a really way, really good way to cement a lot of the fact-telling and, and data and knowledge transfer um, in ways that that kind of are uh, that kind of transcend the wiki itself, right? So um, I think if there's a way for organizations to uh, not just collect data, uh, not just uh, share data, but also tie all those disparate pieces of information into overall overarching story. That makes the new hire onboarding process much easier. That makes the customer success uh, strategies much easier. Um, and I think really building around uh, that, that whole tactical part of communications and especially internal comms, if everyone's telling the same story, uh, everyone understands the why and ever, everyone under, under, understands um, you know, what you're trying to achieve. So uh, I think that was where I would uh, differentiate you know, between the wikis and then ha- developing internal stories um, that help uh, guide the organization forward as well. You know,
0: the other thing I just thought about as you were talking, the uh, you know the internal um, DNA, mm-hmm. I guess, for lack of a better term, is how you talk to each other. And I still remember one of the best, best employee handbooks, and most of them are just horrible. Yeah. Honestly, many of them, maybe not most, but many. And uh, it was at Mettouch, Paul Griffiths wrote, wrote it, I believe. He was the CEO, and that company has since been sold to Proficient, um and it was just the tone yeah. was very different from like you know it's so formal it was like it immediately set the tone on how we talk to each other how we collaborate how we work together and i mean even like the way he talked about the company um we we don't say we're met touchers <laughs> because that just sounds icky <laughs> and uh, just like the term icky in an employee handbook right kind of set right. the tone and then the other thing um, that kind of set the tone, there was a page about travel hmm. rules and regulations. And I've seen employee handbooks that that set the processes for travel. And they're just crazy. You know, they're like, we book this and we book that. And here are the rules. And some of the rules are just totally yeah. dumb. And, you know, in fact, some of them are like, we always book economy. And I'm like, but what if business class is cheaper? <laughs> Which yeah. does happen, especially right. today. So, you know, and... So it's just crazy stuff but the MetTouch employee handbook had one line do what's hmm. right. <laughs> That's all it said. Um so it kind of set the tone. But what other tactics can can uh, companies use to keep employees um, you know up to date in the know at the right time? Yeah,
1: definitely. Well, I think one thing that I'm I'm seeing more and more is having a dedicated channel for internal communication and uh there's an organization uh called Casted and they're based out of Indianapolis and Lindsay is the CEO over there and her work with Jay Okunzo who is a a very well known podcaster mm-hmm. um they've really kind of spearheaded this initiative to create internal podcasts that are relevant that are timely that keep uh distributed organizations, uh, up to speed with what's happening in the organization. And they, they leverage a lot of storytelling and how they do that. And, uh, and this is obviously more important now than ever as work from home policies, uh, distributed work are becoming, uh, more and more pervasive for good reason. Um, the ability to communicate, uh, effectively becomes a lot harder. And for a lot of organizations, I think about, you know, my mom who works at a, Fortune 100 um, uh, pharmaceutical company, this is the first time they've ever had to work from home. And the Mm orientation for a lot of these employees that have been there 10, 15 years um, who are very accustomed to going to their cubicles and, and uh, having little water, water cooler talks. Now all that all of a sudden is happening via Microsoft teams and Slack and, and all these other instant messaging tools. Um, And there's, not that same sort of feeling of rallying around uh, the corporate logo. So I think what Lindsay and and cast are doing um, in, in leveraging the podcast uh, space, which again, I think fits so, so well in this distributed workforce era. um, I think that's a really interesting opportunity uh, to build additional um, community and affinity And uh, and communication around what's happening in an organization, especially uh, given some of the challenges of uh, in-person communication these days.
0: So what's interesting about that topic, episode 225, guys, which is 25 (laughs) episodes ago already, just published in uh, late October, uh, we had Todd Corcoran on the show with Blueberry, uh, that's B-L-U-B-R-R-Y.com. Um, on the show and basically the, the, in the episode we talked about at length, what yeah. you just kind of hinted at, is why executives should consider private mm-hmm. podcasting to communicate with employees. And I, it's so interesting to me because once again, I'm like, why does it have to be private? Why can't it be public? Well, I think, I mean, tell me what your thoughts are. But I think part of it is because not everything CEOs or whoever, mm-hmm. CXOs, right? You name the yeah. C-level. They want public necessarily, but they want to share it with their employees, you know, as part of their strategy.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I I think there are some things that um, you don't want to necessarily reveal, uh, not not for like nefarious reasons, but just because it's kind of the essence or the magic of the brand and of the internal community itself. Right. So, uh, you know, in sports, we have this analogy where whatever happens in the locker room kind of stays in the locker room. And, and I don't want people to misinterpret what that means. I think it really is uh, a space where the teammates can hold each other accountable. Uh, they can hold each other responsible and they can air out any sort of uh, challenge in, in a very non um, judgmental way. And I think if we were to draw that analogy into the business world, again, uh, hopefully devoid of misinterpretations of, of what that, uh, ecosystem could look like. I think a lot of that happens as well. Um, So so in any case, I think it's a great strategy. And um, the one thing that I will say, and I think this is, is, you know, probably the exclamation point on the conversation, is communications, very simply, communications creates confidence, right? So if you're a leader, a C-suite leader, and you're not constantly communicating, the good, the bad, and the ugly of what's going on uh, internally, externally, so on and so forth uh, how how are you supposed to effectively lead your teams um, and uh, and again, if you create confidence through your communication, I think you create a rallying cry around your brand uh, around what you're doing around your mission and uh, that can really lead you through tough times as as a lot of uh, organizations are facing right now so um again I think it makes so much sense for for c-suites to take a proactive approach to communication um, and and I think there's a lot of, uh, long sale positive that could happen from it.
0: And what are your tips? I mean, I've certainly written uh, memos yeah.
1: for CEOs
0: that then went out under sure. their name. Right. And, um, but it's not them. And that's, I guess it's fine to an extent when there are their thoughts, right. right? And their strategies and just kind of, um, make it, make it move faster. But what, what are some good ways, uh, what's a good, um, interval, to get in front of people. I mean, I, I remember, uh, well, not remember, but like, uh, you know, yep. if you have a Slack channel for a team, I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's all the time, right? Um, and you kind of have to figure out what you say and what you do on there and when do you schedule a meeting. I also like to do Fridays, <laughs> yeah. you know, so every Friday, send out a thing saying, hey, here's some of the good things I noticed and what did I miss, um, add it. So if you, you know, so people can add it if it's like yeah. a Basecamp yeah. or another tool like that. Um, and funny story here, Trent, I actually, I did a, um, a podcast version of a Friday before and people said, oh, we don't like that. We, we rather have it written. And I think that was because they didn't want to listen to the whole thing. Sure. They just want to yeah. skim it, um, you know, but what's the right interval? How often, I mean, when I hear CEOs say, oh, hey, we need to do a quarterly update. And I'm thinking <laughs> a quarterly update. I mean, that's like, that's a long time. Yeah, definitely. Somebody. Well,
1: I think. The, the cadence there really kind of comes down to organizational size, right? So it's less about C-suite versus like division. It's it's more so like um, if you have the ability as a C-suite member to get in front of your, your teams often enough, you should do that. And honestly, given like internal communications, everyone should, should probably know what's going on. If you have a team of, you know, call it five up to, to 50, right? The organization's not big enough to not uh, have that level of, of insight as to what's happening, uh, you know, day in and day out. Now, if, if we're talking, uh, again, like Fortune Fortune 1000, Fortune 500, Fortune 100, um, I think so much of that uh, communication that happens from the C-suite can kind of really just be turned off <laughs> by most of the, uh, you know, the, the, the leaders or not even leaders, but like the individual contributors on teams. Like, uh, again, my, my, my mother, she is uh, in the customer service and finance division of a large pharmaceutical company, what the CEO says about uh, the company really doesn't hold a lot of weight with her necessarily because um, you know it's a lot more rah-rah and, and here's the organization and all the great things that we did. But if she were to get that same level of communication from her division head or uh, her boss's boss, it might be more relevant. So um, ideally, I think, the the cadence really kind of comes down to organizational size and whatever that expectation is in terms of uh, of winning. Now, uh, I will say that uh, a lot of the C suite, regardless of, of size, they only want to accentuate the positive of of what's happening in in organizations, and that could be external or internal. Uh, but I would really encourage any leader uh, to to also talk about, like we said, the the bad and the ugly, right? Um, and I think to borrow from, from Jocko Willink, if anybody's familiar with a former Navy SEAL um, and some of what, what he says, uh, when bad things happen, you, you want to say, good, right? So we lost a client. Good. Now we have a chance to review our customer service and customer success practices to, to create stickier relationships uh, so we don't lose the next client. Um, or we, we lost out on this proposal, Okay. Normally people would say, oh crap, but we're going to say good. And we're going to reevaluate our process, or we're going to say uh, good. They probably weren't going to be the best fit for us anyway, because they're a little bit outside of our ICP Um, or, you know, uh, profits are down and and costs are up. Good. Uh, This gives us a chance to refocus on what's core to our business and, uh, and come out on the other end, uh, you know, better than we were before. So uh, again, I think, uh, that's a that's a very broad sweeping answer to your question christoph but uh but again I do think um it's it's incumbent upon the leaders to take communication uh very seriously and uh, it's not that hard uh it just has to come down to uh commitment
0: yeah and i i i think it's it comes natural to many of us especially mm-hmm. when we grew up mm-hmm. in marketing right to uh, to talk about the positive, and I, I was just thinking about. Uh, of course, we're currently in the COVID pandemic still. Yeah, um, yeah, Iowa, you're in yeah. Illinois, I think, right? Um, like, so I can't right. even visit Chicago without quarantining for two weeks. And now they, uh, now they in Iowa, the Iowa governor uh, had a press conference the other day, started relatively positive, or or not positive, but just kind of like her talking. And I, I looked at my wife and I said, "Oh, the hammer is going to drop here in a minute." And I'm like, <laughs> just get to the point. Tell us what the tell us what the thing is. And this is not a political statement. It's not about Kim Reynolds. It's about, that's very common, right? I mean, I've seen the emails when, when CEO sent an email announcing a, a crap load of um, yeah. layoffs. And the, the first half of the email is about yeah. how wonderful everybody is. And it's in journalism, of yeah. course, we call that bury the lead. How... Uh, Oh, and then the other example, it was actually, guys, this was episode 247 published on Thursday, Amazon star ratings, how Amazon calculates them for different countries. Mm -hmm. So I was looking at a different country and my book, my book's star rating was lower than in the US. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why, how they don't like me there? Well, it's because um, how Amazon calculates them, right? So basically in a nutshell if you don't have any local reviews in that country, it only takes the verified purchases. So if you have a lot of negative reviews, it's a little lower in the verified purchases. If you have a lot of higher ones, it's a a little higher. So all the other ones where people buy the book Mm -hmm. from me aren't counted. So I wrote about this, right? Because I thought it was interesting. But why do I want to tell people that in Germany, my book is rated at three stars? You know, it's not that good. Um, But I thought it was more valuable to share how Amazon calculates the star ratings because I thought it was kind of interesting. And I mean, there is actually some thinking behind it. So how do we get people to embrace the negative, that it's okay to share things that are not working or that we need to work on? it? Yeah, a team? well, I
1: think uh, the understanding that everybody is human, right? Uh, I think goes a, a really long way. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably hear a lot of, in, a lot of pundits and, and talking heads and quote-unquote thought leaders talking about empathy Right. And I think uh, one of the big misconceptions is that like empathy can be developed overnight. Um, I'm of the opinion that some people are are born a little bit more empathetic than others. Uh, That doesn't mean you can't increase your level of empathy, but it takes time. It's it's a it's a intentional practice like you have to truly try uh, over the course of the long haul to become uh, more empathetic. And I think um, that's that's an issue that a lot of people face. Um, so absent like the ability to snap your fingers and all of a sudden, Hey, I'm, I'm Mr. Empathetic now. Um, I think some of the things that you can do Mm -hmm. is again, I'm going to go back to storytelling, which really is probably the most, um, you know, utility laden tactic that we have in our quiver yet. It's, it's very seldom used, uh, other than people thinking about movies and, and television shows. Uh, but story, I think shows how you know you're in this point of stasis and uh all of a sudden something happens and it has a negative impact and then really the character has a choice do they let that negative impact um uh you know crush them or defeat them or do they figure out a way through the help of uh internal uh self-realization or external guidance um really rebound from that that level of of loss or negativity and, and continue on that journey. And I think, uh, if people just, just really basically studied, uh, some of the, the, the first principles of storytelling, I think they would see that, uh, it's okay to have uh, a negative thing happen because that doesn't mean that it's final, right. It it just means that that's a a bump, uh, in the road and it's up to that individual to then to kind of pick oneself up from the bootstraps and, and continue on. And, um, so, yeah, that would be, be my answer is, yeah, you should say that you're, you know, you had something wrong happen. Uh, that's not necessarily the important thing. It's how you rebound from that and how you continue on your quest for, for whatever it is you're seeking.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have no disagreement here. I do think it is hard for some people to do that and think about that. I mean, I have plenty of, of people I've worked with over the years and, and I, you know, I work with them and I start a project and, and I hear, mm-hmm. oh, just mm-hmm. make me sound yeah. good. <laughs> okay, but but what's your opinion about the topic? Right. Oh, I don't know. Just make me sound good. So certainly, um, certainly that's something. Um, so Trent, of course, you are yeah. the uh, chief operating officer at PreWrite dot What's uh, mm-hmm. you know, you talk about storytelling there. Tell us about the platform. What is it? Uh, how, how do people
1: use it? Yeah, so it store? originally what's started it as, as a screenwriting tool, and uh, our our head of product, David Rogers, mm-hmm. uh, was actually a film student uh, turned storyboard artist. And when he flew out to New York City to have his first job as a storyboard artist, he also was working on his screen, screenplay simultaneously. And uh, being a more visual learner, as he sat down to write his own first screenplay, he said, man, I really wish I could take those elements of like the visual aspect of storyboarding and apply it to screenplay. And that's when like <laughs> prewrite version 1.0 actually started. And for those that aren't familiar, I mean, there's, there's many ways that we learn, uh, but one of the more... Uh, impactful and and stickier ways we learn is through visual orientation. Um, And if you remember, you know, sitting through Mm -hmm. very boring (laughs) high school classes, uh, you know, sometimes uh, if there was a depiction on a chalkboard, it might've helped you, uh, you know, understand or or realize a concept better than just having a a teacher drone on and on and on about it. Um, But in any case, that was kind of the, the first foray into story. Now, when I joined uh, pre-write, I knew that there was an application uh, outside of just screenwriting. And I've always used Story personally in, in my uh, sales and marketing career to uh, have greater impact uh, in, in, in more meaningful conversations. So um, that is where we started to adopt the, or adapt the system to fit uh, different elements of, of uh, business, of content creation, um, all with story kind of uh, around the, the central thesis there. Um, and the funny thing about story is we've been telling stories, you know, literally since uh, cave paintings. And the three-act structure, which some people might have heard of, actually started with Aristotle. And the, the funny thing is we've been telling the same stories literally forever. All we're doing is changing out the characters and the environments that these stories are, are uh, living in. So I I encourage and I challenge listeners, uh, take a look at the movie Die Hard. Take a look at the movie Tommy Boy uh, and take a look at um, a couple other movies and and tell me, uh, are those stories any different? And the answer is no. Uh, There's there's an individual. There's a love interest. Something bad happens to the hero. The hero meets a sidekick. The sidekick helps uh, that individual conquer a challenge, uh, you know, all all well at the end. Um, And I think, again, looking at storytelling through the frame of movies, we've all, we've all seen that, but that same uh, amount of storytelling can be applied to individual sales conversations that we have with prospects. It can be applied to uh, our 2021 content planning Uh, storytelling can and should be uh, utilized more often by, by, by business folks internally and externally uh, because it creates emotion. And now more than ever, I mean, the, the, the tried and true efforts that we had uh, and call it, you know, the sales and marketing automation era, uh, which I, I think I'm, I'm ready to, to proclaim as dead. I don't know about you, Christoph, Um, But like the, the efficacy of a lot of these uh, automation things just isn't there anymore. So absent the ability to load in, 500 contacts from zoom info and, and hitting, you know, go on an outreach campaign. Uh, what are you going to do? Uh, I think it comes down to uh, identifying again, here's this ugly word empathy. Uh, you know, what makes people tick and what's made people tick uh, the last five years is the same as the last 500 years. And it really comes down to story. Uh, Cause these are emotionally charged insight driven, uh, you know, methods of communication that help us feel something that, you uh, really actually does have a physiological effect on our brains. So in any case, uh, that's that's the big picture with pre-write. Uh, but what people can use it for, uh, video sales letters, podcasts, uh, YouTube videos, uh, short form uh, video content. Uh, we're working on, on partnerships with a number of, of leading video uh, marketing providers, uh, as well as uh, sales intelligence platforms. So you can pipe in data from... Uh, your sales intelligence platform and build a better story around what that data says um, so in any case, we think storytelling creates the the an outsized uh positive outcome uh regardless of of uh who you are and your level of uh uh familiarity with the the ability to tell stories oh i don't know we'll we'll
0: see how that turns out i mean there's certainly a lot of automation happening but but a lot of it, I mean, you still need to supervise it. You don't need to, still need to set it up correctly. But I certainly agree with the whole thing you mentioned. You just load up 600 contacts and send everybody the same crap. And of course, as we know, <laughs> crap stands for content really annoying to people. And you don't want to do that. Um, what's interesting too, Trent, is, I mean, storytelling, right. you know, hasn't changed that much. Um, and we actually, uh, I'll put a link here in the show notes uh, when we had JJ Peterson on the show um how to make your marketing more effective by using a storytelling formula um so simple in theory right but it's also getting harder and harder because everybody is just getting overwhelmed with the content that's being thrown at them i mean before we came on the air um today's we talked about when this episode will publish Mm -hmm. and of course as you know today is a sunday Uh, Why would I publish on a Sunday? Well, because hardly anybody else publishes on a Sunday. Plus, I publish every day currently, but on the weekends uh, there's no drop off, right? People, same amount of people listen. Sometimes there's more people listening, just because I don't know if it's because I'm the only podcast publishing or not. Um, Okay, so prewrite.com is the website. Yeah, definitely on
1: on LinkedIn. um, On LinkedIn.com/slash-in/slash-growth Trent. Uh, and I, I try to publish something useful <laughs> for for my audience daily. Um, we also have a, a podcast uh, sponsored by PreWrite.com, and it's called Creator Stories. And that's where we interview uh, individuals and teams about uh, their their content creation journey and their storytelling journey. And we've had some awesome guests on, uh, from marketing agency owners to barstool sports bloggers uh, to everybody in between. So. Um, yeah, creator stories available on uh, all your major podcast uh, outlets, uh, as well as on YouTube. Um, so yeah, I, I, I love to hear stories. I love to, to talk uh, with individuals about how, um, you know, they're facing the quote unquote, new normal. Um, and, and I always do it through a storytelling lens. So, uh, yeah, a lot of places you can find us.
0: Awesome. Thanks again for joining us. And tomorrow we have Sam Horne on the show, how to make stories repeatable and Retreat- retweetable. And Sam talks about how to do that in a way I could never do. I mean, I don't, I, I can't talk like that and explain it the way she did. It's a fantastic episode, 35 minutes of wisdoms from Sam. Thanks again for listening. Um, until next time.